right. Good morning. So uh, it's been an interesting weekend. As you guys all know, we, uh, we brought home my son-in-law yesterday, um, which means I had to give up my daughter. So it wasn't really an even trade, I don't think. Um, we'll see. But he's a good guy. So thank you all for praying for Hannah and Zach. It's really been a blessing. Uh, we do miss her this morning, though. She uh, put a reminder on my phone this morning at 8 o'clock. It popped up and said, I love you, Dad. So uh, we've already had some tears this morning, so it's been good. I would ask that let's, let's continue to remember Ruby and Ernie as they go. It would behoove us as a church to pray and fast on their behalf, to remember them. And this is a big deal. Amen? This is a big deal. So let's remember them as we, as we want to be the body of Christ and walk with our brothers and sisters. The Bible teaches us when one hurts, we all hurt. When one grieves, we all grieve together. So this morning, I get the privilege to preach. You guys know I love this. Like, this is like my favorite thing to do in the whole world. I'm just not very good at it yet. So if I could practice a lot more, which means you guys have to suffer through that, uh, unfortunately. But I really do love this. It's been a, a really emotional weekend with the wedding and, and, uh, and all that. And then to do this today, I think it's good for me to kind of take my mind off of it, actually. But I do think I had too much coffee. My hand is a little jittery today. So this morning, the burden of the message this morning is that God is a God of reconciliation. Like he wants a relationship with us so desperately that he's made a way for that. And this morning, we're going to look at an example in Scripture, one person. There's many examples of reconciliation in Scripture, so don't come to me afterwards and remind me of all the others, okay? This is just going to be a small uh, glimpse in time, but I did have Brent told me to preach for an extra hour today um, so he would be good and hungry for lunch. Um, does anybody agree with him? A couple, okay, very good, very good. But we know the Word of God teaches us where two or three are gathered, that God is with us. And I believe God wants to speak to our hearts this morning. I feel like this is the message that he's burdened my heart with. So I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna look into the word of God. And our, our chapter there, the text this morning, we're gonna start with is in Colossians 1, starting at verse 19. So let's pray together, and we'll look to see what God has for us this morning. Father God, we thank you for the privilege it is to be gathered in your house this morning. Lord, we thank you that we have access, Lord, that we are able to freely gather, freely worship. Lord, we know there's so many around the world who don't have that opportunity. They're persecuted. They, they can't say the name of Jesus. There's so much they're unable to do. We live in this free country, Father, and we are able to do so much, Father, but Lord, yet sometimes we, we don't take advantage of that. Lord, I just pray today as we, as we go through the message, as we look at reconciliation, Lord, you would help us each one as we sit here this morning that we would have a heart, as Ernie said earlier, that wants to hear from you, including my own, Father. And Lord, I pray as I, as I share that the words would be yours, not my own, that this wouldn't be about Chris or this wouldn't be about Riverview, but it'd be about Jesus and what your word has to say to your church. And Lord, I know sometimes the distractions can get to us. Sometimes when we, when we see a verse, we think of our neighbor or our cousin or our wife or our brother. Lord, help us to think of ourselves this morning. Help us to, to focus the gospel of Jesus on, on really the only one we can control, which would be ourselves. So Father, I just pray you would speak boldly to us as a church this morning. I pray that each heart this morning uh, who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. 
that they would recognize your calling, your drawing of them into a relationship with you. I pray for any in our midst this morning who need to be reconciled. They've, they've backslidden or maybe they're struggling with sin, Father. Would you do that today in their lives? Lord, I pray for those who are, who are walking in victory. Lord, may they continue to walk in that victory. Be with us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So when you think about reconciliation this morning, you know, it's one of those words we use a lot and uh, it really reme- it means to restore friendly relations, cause to exist in harmony, or even to settle a disagreement. Reconciliation. In the Bible, it says in verse, uh, Colossians chapter one, if you guys would turn with me there. I'm gonna start in verse 19. The Bible says, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And we talked about all things. We're, we're, we're part of that all things. Amen? You know, we sang songs about that this morning, that great grace that we have, how he is our blessed redeemer. Verse 21 says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. This is a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. It's his physical death on that cross, his laying down of his life. Nobody took it from him. He laid it down for each one of us. It's his shed blood that paid the penalty of our sins. This is that reconciliation that Paul is talking about here to the church at Colossae. But he goes on in verse 23 and he says, if, right? There's an if there. You guys remember as a bunch of homeschoolers in this room, there's if then statements, right? Something has to happen for something else to happen, right? He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, that gospel, what Jesus has done, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. This reconciliation, it's all about Jesus, but there's a continuing that we have to have as we follow him, that we remain in that, right? Great place for an amen right there. Thank you. Thank you. So the, the, the character we're gonna look at today, uh, and this is just kind of where my heart has been, is John chapter 21. We're going to look at the life of Peter for a little while. And I love the, the life of Peter because I think Peter's one that we, everybody in this room can resonate with. Like he had a lot of great moments. He had a lot of, a lot of bad moments. He was up and down and uh, gives a great example really of, of where our lives are at times. So we're going to spend most of our time in the, in the text of John chapter 21. We're going to bounce around a few other places But my heart is, and what I believe God's heart is this morning, is that we can plug ourselves into scripture this morning, that we can say, okay, this is who Peter is, but can I put myself in that scenario? Can I place myself with the relationship that he's having with Jesus, with the questions that Jesus is gonna ask him? Because Peter's a disciple, just like us. Peter loves Jesus like we do, but sometimes we need to come face to face with some challenging questions. And when you teach, and I learned this from Elwood, if you guys have ever been in a class with Elwood, he asks the greatest questions in the world. He really makes you think. 
Like, it's not the textbook answer that Jesus is the answer for every question, right? Like, he makes you think. He wants to know why you think what you think. And I love that about Elwood. And Jesus does the exact same thing as he teaches his disciples. So we're gonna start this morning in John chapter 21. I'm gonna read the first seven verses of the interaction here in the last chapter of the book of John. The Bible says in verse one, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias in his, uh, and in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan of Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. They went out immediately, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Well, when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus says to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast the net, and they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which would be John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. So here we have this account where Peter, Jesus has shown himself to the disciples two other times, and now Peter is is at the Sea of Tiberias. So the Sea of Tiberias, or where he's at, is actually, it's, it's all the same sea. It's the Sea of Galilee. He's still in Galilee, which is really where he started his journey with the Lord. And he doesn't know what to do with himself. And so, in my opinion, he doesn't know what to do with himself. And so he says, hey guys, I'm just gonna go back fishing. Like, this is what I know to do. So I'm gonna go back to fishing. And these six other guys say, hey, well, we'll just go with you. Now, how many of you ever gone fishing and caught nothing? All right, right? And it says they were out there all night and they caught nothing. You know, when you're fishing out in a boat, what can you do if you're not fishing? If you're not catching, I should say. Go home, as Les says. Right, right. But have you ever been fishing like that and you're in the boat and it's a long day? I know if I go fishing with my wife, um, we have to be very careful because we can't leave until she catches a fish. And sometimes those are long days. You're just like, Lord, please give my wife a fish so we can go home. It gets cold, right? So we have those nights. We have those moments where, and I'm just picturing Peter out on this boat with these guys, and they're catching nothing all night long, and you're kind of left to yourself to just think, right? You guys ever do that? Just You're kind of in a place. You can't be at home. You're not washing dishes. You're not taking care of the kids, but you're kind of in that place where you're just thinking. And I can imagine Peter's probably thinking about a lot of things, right? A lot of things that had happened, a lot of things that he had seen. But when we think about reconciliation, I think one of the things that we have to understand is that God desires that in our lives, right? God really desires that in our life. And so as they're out there fishing, so there's this guy on the shore, which we know to be Jesus, and he says, hey guys, you got any fish? Well, if you carry a fishing rod around, what do people always ask you? Did you catch anything, Right? So it's a pretty common question. Did you catch anything? And they're like, no, we didn't catch a thing. And Jesus says, well, why don't you cast your net on the other side and you will find some. You think that was their clue that this was Jesus? Right? Because John's like, hey, Peter, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And so they throw the net over and immediately they catch, and the Bible says 153 fish, they call, they counted them, right? It was such an amazing catch. Once Jesus realizes, excuse me, once Peter realizes that this is Jesus, he jumps in the boat, jumps out of the boat, and he swims ashore. Now, I love this about Peter because 
I feel like as a night of thinking, a night of contemplating where his life has been, things that he has done, like he just really wants to get to Jesus. You guys ever been there? Where you just, man, I just really need to be with the Lord. Amen? So let's think a little bit about what would Peter possibly be thinking about? Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 16. I just want to look at a few bits of time with Peter in his life. This won't be a, an exhaustive study on, the, on Peter, but just a few moments of possible things that Peter is thinking about. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, uh, 16 through 20, I'll let you get there. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, referring to Jesus, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to him, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets, and immediately called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So this is, where, this is where Peter gets his start. Jesus comes along and says, hey guys, uh, I want you to follow me. And they drop everything to follow Jesus. Everything. Now, I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's easy to drop the physical things. Yeah, Lord, you can have my car, you can have my golf clubs, you can have that fishing rod, right? But, but the harder part is, it's, it's the in here, right? It's the part that nobody sees. It's the part that really only God knows what's going on in there. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Let's look at another example of Peter and, and this guy that we're referring to this morning, Peter, starting in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. The Bible says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him. This is right after Jesus had just fed the 5,000. He wanted some alone time with, with his heavenly father. So he sends the disciples out in the boat. Verse 23, and when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, that the, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer as I do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says to him, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those that were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So we have this account of Peter walking on water. Peter saying, Lord, is that really you? Allow me to come out onto the sea. And as he gets out, he's able to walk on water, right? which is pretty much a miracle, right? But as he started to pay attention to all the other things around him, took his eyes off the Lord, what happened? Right, he was on his way to be Jonah, right? And so he starts to sink, and immediately he cries out to the Lord, and Jesus 
which is what he loves to do, he saves him. He pulls him up and says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt me? Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Another account of Peter. Mark 8, 27. Mark 8, 27 says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the town of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he says to them, Who do you say that I am? It's like Jesus is saying, Okay, that was my first question, but really, this is the one I really want to know. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, being the guy that he is, he's the first one to answer, and he says, You are the Christ. Another scripture says, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus tells him in another scripture that God is the one that reveals this to him. And he's commended for his answer. So you see, in the life of Peter, like he's, he gets it right so many times, and yet he has his moments where he falls short. Turn your Bibles to Mark 14, verse 27. A few, few chapters over here. And we'll get back to our John 21 in just a minute. And really, this is probably the, the main thing that I believe Peter was thinking about while he was out there fishing, catching nothing all night long with these other disciples. Mark 14, verse 27 says, then Jesus says to them, this is Jesus' words to his disciples at the Last Supper. He says, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, and he's quoting here from Isaiah and from Zechariah. He says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Verse 28, but after I have been raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even if you are all made to stumble, yet I will not be. Yet I will not be. Verse 30, Jesus said unto him, assuredly I say to you today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. You'll deny me three times. Verse 31, but he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all they said, likewise. So this wasn't just Peter saying this. It wasn't just Peter saying, I won't deny you. They all really had something to say about that. But Peter was the most vocal one. He says, after Jesus tells them, this is exactly what's gonna happen. Peter says, no, 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 Lord. Remember, Peter's exactly the same one who said, when Jesus came along and said, hey, guys, I'm gonna die this way. And he says, no, no, no. There's got to be another way, right? Turn over a little bit further into chapter, uh, verse, excuse me, Mark chapter 14, verse 66. And we'll see the outcome of what Peter was just foretold. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, this is as Jesus was facing the Sanhedrin here, <clears throat> one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with this Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter, verse 68, but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went on the porch and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And a a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them, for you're a Galilean and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. 
A second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. And really that was his last real interaction before Jesus rose again. And so I think if I'm thinking of Peter and I'm thinking of this interaction in John chapter 21, as they stand by the seaside, I see Jesus who wants to reconcile with his Peter who the last really count of what he's done wrong is really he denied his savior. He denied three times, even the third time he denied very, very strongly. And the Bible says he cursed. I don't know what he said or how he said it, but it was a very strong, like, I don't know this guy. Like he very strongly denied that he had any relationship with this Jesus. And when we pick up our story back in John chapter 21, we're on the seaside with, with Jesus. And we don't see Jesus taking a stick and chasing his disciples back out into the sea of Galilee there. We don't see him yelling and screaming. But what we do see is a Jesus who wants to reconcile with his, with his disciples. We see a, a Jesus who has made, like he went to where Peter is. And he wants to reconcile. Now he's, he's serving this breakfast. And as they're standing there, we're gonna pick up in verse number eight here. As he's standing there, um, this is where we're gonna start back. But what I wanna, what I feel God's heart is this morning is can, can we put ourselves in the place of Peter this morning? Now we haven't walked on water, right? But the other things that Peter did, we probably have done, right? We've said Jesus is Lord, right? But we've also denied him. And if you don't believe that, then you're probably not paying attention. We've all denied him. We've all fallen short of that glory of who God is. We all need him. The things that Jesus, the things that Peter has done, the things that Peter has failed to do, we can put ourselves in that role, right? Everybody with me on that? I'm not saying you are Peter. I'm not calling you an apostle, Peter, none of those things. I'm just saying, can we put ourselves into scripture where Peter's at and allow this interaction to be between us and the Lord? Amen? So let's break up in verse eight. But the other disciples came in a little boat, because remember, Peter rushed to the shore first, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. And then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. Simon Peter, again, he runs back and he dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus says to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised. Do you see how Jesus wants to reconcile with Peter? Doesn't God do that for us? Doesn't he chase us down? Doesn't he make ways where we, as we open up the word, like right there he is. Pastor Merlin on the Sunday morning, he says a verse or has something to say and it's just like that's just what I needed to hear because I need to be close to the Lord. I need to recognize what God is trying to do in our lives. Amen? But he, he wants to reconcile with us. He wants that. It's his desire. So that's our, that's our first point today is just that Jesus wants to reconcile. It's his heart. That's why Jesus came. There's a lot more to this story. So as we go on, and we're gonna start back in verse 15 of John chapter 21. 
the second point is we've really got to be honest before the Lord, right? And we can't do this for anybody else. Like, I can't be honest for Jerry. Like, I can't be honest for Glenn. I, I can only be honest for Chris, right? And at the end of the day, I can't make anybody in this room do anything, right? You can, you can whip your kids all you want, but you can't force them to surrender that heart. I wish it was that way sometimes, and I know I tried, how about husbands and wives? Now, you can't force a wife to submit to you. You can't force a husband to love you. But it is what we're called to do, right? But what we can control is us. We can surrender us. I can't surrender anybody else. So let's pick up in verse 15 of chapter 21. And I think this is really why Jesus is at the seaside, why he's having breakfast. Verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast... Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, it's interesting that he says, Simon, son of Jonah. Remember all the way back when we just read those verses in Matthew, that was his name before Jesus changed it, right? You guys remember those days? Do you remember what God did all the way back then? And some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time, so it may be black and white pictures in your head that you're thinking about, Right? <laughs> Right, you, get, you know what I'm talking about. But not everybody in the room's that way. Some people have been in this room that have only been walking with the Lord six months, eight months, a year. Now, one of the things that I've been really challenged with lately is, can we give people grace to grow? You know, I, 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 I've probably told this story before, but when we first came to know the Lord and realized that we should raise a godly home and I was driving truck at the time and whenever I would run an extra route or my partner would be on vacation, I'd have a, a partner with me and it uh, wasn't my normal partner and I was just chomping at the bit like I'm gonna save him tonight, right? And so I'd get in the truck and I'd have a stack of tapes, a Bible and some books on the Bible and I would hand it to him, right? This is how you're supposed to live. Not one of those guys received that. They all took it home. They probably threw it away. Why is that? Because they probably weren't ready for everything, right? And neither are we. We need time to grow. And I love that how Jesus does that in our lives. We have to recognize those moments, those tough moments that we have where we can be refined and we can grow in the Lord. So the Bible says in verse 15 here that Simon, son of Jonah, do you remember Simon, son of Jonah? I'm not talking about Peter here. I'm talking about Simon, son of Jonah. Peter, do you remember who you once were? Do you remember that moment when we were on the seashore when I told you to drop everything and just follow me? Do you remember that moment? And church, today is 9-11, like the day we remember that crazy thing that happened so many years ago, right? You guys remember that? More important than that is, what about your salvation day? Like, what's God done in your life? What's God continuing to do in your life? And I think that's the point he's trying to make with Peter. But he goes on and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't really know what the these are. It could be the fishing. could be the rest of the disciples. Not exactly sure what he's pointing to here. But basically, he's saying, do you love me more than something? Now, I love when Jesus asks questions. What about us this morning? Is there something we love more than Jesus? Don't answer out loud. But is there something we love more than Jesus? It's interesting here. He goes on in, verse, in the same verse. He says, Peter's response, he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, okay, well, feed my sheep. Now, the interesting thing here is that Peter 
doesn't use the same word for love, Jesus did. Now in the Greek, there's four words for love. There's storge, ergos, phileo, and agape. And the two that are in these verses is agape and phileo. Now agape love is the love that Jesus has shown us and the love that's supposed to come through us, right? We're supposed to be that vessel where that vessel of living water, according to John chapter four, where his love comes into us and out of us. And that's what he's really asking Peter. Like, Peter, do you love me that way? <clears throat> and Peter's response is, well, I love you as a brother. I love you in this reciprocal, mutual understanding. I love you because you love me, right? And then to put this into context, when Jesus tells us back in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us that we are to love our enemies, right? Would that be phileo, a brotherly love? Or would that be agape love? Agape, right? Like we can't love our enemies in and of ourselves, right? It takes a heart change. We have to see our enemy the way Jesus sees our enemies. Jesus died for our enemies. So we have to see it that way. And, and Jesus answers Peter right where he's at, and he says, feed my lambs. Now, we know that Jesus had called Peter. We know Peter is a leader at this point because you can continually see he's always the guy out front. And we know through the book of Acts and also in some of the other epistles that Peter will become a mighty leader in Scripture, a mighty leader. And he's pointing forward to that, and he's telling me, I want you to feed my lambs. Talking about spiritual maturity. Like in this room, we have all different areas of spiritual maturity, Praise God for that, right? It means we all have an opportunity to grow and to encourage and disciple. Now, this is a pretty tough question. So church, how do we answer that this morning? If Jesus was standing in front of us, we put ourselves in Peter's seat and we say, and Jesus is standing in front of you and he says, do you love me? Do you agape love me? That love the Lord thy God with all your heart, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Forgive me there and others as yourself. Like, is that the love that's coming out of us? Or is it that selfish love, right? But I love Peter because Peter's not lying here. He's being very honest. Like, Lord, this is, this is just where I'm at. Verse 16, he says to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? I don't know about you, but I don't like to be questioned twice, right? Raise your hand if you do. Right? We don't like to be, I don't like to be questioned once. Unless it's in a Sunday school class with Elwood. But other than that, I don't really want to be questioned. And he says, he asks him the exact same question. Simon, son of Jonah, same name, do you love me? And he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says to him, tend my sheep. There's something very significant about the way Jesus answers his question, or answers Peter's answer, I should say. There's something very significant about serving as a result of God's love. Amen? Something very significant. Because if you can follow the Lord all your life and never really serve or do much of anything, um, there's a good chance you've missed it completely. There's a good chance you've missed it completely. Here's an old saying, it takes 20% of the church to do 100% of the work, right? Take that where you wanna, where you wanna leave it. But when he asks him the question, Peter answers it exactly the same way. He says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me, Peter? And Peter says the second time, yeah, I phileo you. This is like a husband telling his wife, honey, I love you. And then your son comes over and he's like, man, I love those new tires on your truck, right? 
We use the same word all the time. My wife tells me this all the time. I'll tell her she's beautiful, then I'll see something else that she doesn't think is beautiful, and I'll say it's beautiful, and she's like, but I thought I was beautiful. And I'm like, you both are. Do you understand how we use words sometimes and we don't understand the meaning or we use them such a varied way? When Jesus is asking these questions, it's it's a very intimate thing. Peter, do you love me? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me, I should say. And again, we have to put ourselves in that situation the second time. As Jesus is asking that question, he's saying to everybody in this room, like, do you love me? Do you love me? And if you do, then this is what you should do. You should... You should be tending the sheep. And again, he's referring to the spiritual maturity of different people and pointing forward to what Peter is gonna be called to do in a very big way. Verse 17, he said to him, the third time. How many of you like it when your mom or your dad has to tell you something three times? Right? Parents don't like it either. He said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. You think he's remembering the three times that he denied Jesus? Think he's thinking about those things? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Again, going back to be that shepherd that I've called you. Live it out. You know, we can't have this gospel message that's transformed our life and then sit at home on our hands. Amen? It doesn't work that way. If it doesn't transform everything about you where now you're ready to go out and you wanna lead your family for Jesus, you wanna go win your neighbors for Jesus, you wanna have family devotions, you wanna teach and train the scriptures, like you wanna be about our Father's business, that's what a transformed life looks like. But this time when Peter was asked the question by Jesus, Jesus changed his turn. He says, hey, Peter, do you, do you brotherly love me? Do you phileo me? It's almost like Peter is, 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 Jesus is saying to Peter, you know what? I know exactly how much you love me, and then I'll take that. Let's start right here, and let's go forward. Now, how many times in our life do we need that? To know that God knows. Peter answered, Lord, you know all things. God knows exactly where we are. Did you know that? You can hide it from your wife and maybe some of your kids, but you can't hide from the Lord. Like, he knows exactly where we are. He knows the answer before we even ask the question. He knows when he says, do you love me? He knows where our answer is, right? And we love to put our Sunday morning face on. Come in, good morning, brother, love you, right? Little hug, right? We've got our, we've got our Sunday morning smiles on, our Sunday morning dress on, and our, our lives can be a, an absolute disaster. Sharing time, 200 people in this room, one person shared. Everybody else's life, as Ernie put it, must be good, Is that really true? I don't think it is. But sometimes we hate to admit when we're wrong. We hate to admit, at least maybe it's just me, because we don't like to change. But Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he tells him to go on and feed his sheep. Peter's being very honest with God. He's being very honest with Jesus here. Are we... Are we honest with the Lord? Are we really willing to, to just be honest with our Heavenly Father as he asks us these questions? Can we really put ourselves in Peter's shoes and just be like, Lord, you do know all things? You guys understand what I'm saying? Because the goal is that we grow up. 
But if we don't know where we're starting from, we're never going to get there. Let's go on. Verse 18, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger and girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Verse 19, this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he says to Peter, follow me. So he's had this interaction with Jesus. He's been out on the boat. He's, in my opinion, contemplated his life as I've done so many times as a fisherman when you don't catch anything, just thinking about life, thinking about all the things maybe we have done or haven't done for the Lord, ways that we've failed, ways that we've failed our families and our wives, whatever it happens to be. And now he's being restored. God has pursued him. Jesus has pursued Peter and he wants to restore him. He wants to reinstate him back in the good graces because Jesus has got things for him to do. Now, as we put ourselves in Peter's place, guess what? Jesus has got things for you to do too. Amen? We have to walk in our spiritual gifts. We have to know what that is and we have to go and use that for God's glory, for his kingdom and not sit on our hands. But interesting that as Jesus says, okay, Peter, I understand you phileo, you brotherly love me. I accept that. Now, in order to go further, you gotta follow me. You gotta follow me. I heard a preacher say this week, I was listening to, I don't remember his name, something on BBN, I can't remember which guy it was. And he said, you know, the Bible wasn't written for you, it was written about God. I thought that was really good. It's about our Savior. Because it's so that we know who he is, right? I know for me, as a father and even as a husband at times, I've studied the Bible for my wife. I've studied the Bible for my children. I've studied the Bible for a Sunday school lesson. But the Bible says I'm supposed to study the Bible to show myself approved unto God. That's the whole point. God wants to change us, and it happens individually. But he tells Peter, Peter, start where you are, recognize where you are. But the third point is we gotta follow. But it's not on our terms. It's on Jesus's terms. And this is where we have to give each other grace because we're not all on the same page at times as far as what God is doing in our lives. This is something I learned years ago, especially with different guys that I would run trucks with is, you know, we all didn't have the same backgrounds. Like I was running with guys that were on their third marriage. I was running with guys, one guy had eight kids by nine different women is the way he said it. I don't know how that happens, right? That's what he used to always say. His paycheck was like $100 a week because it, all the child support come out. Like you don't know what people have walked through. But the same thing is, but Jesus does, right? But he also knows where we're at and he wants to move forward with that. Now, Peter, being the great man of God, he takes this and just runs with it, right? Well, there's one more interaction I wanna see here in, verse, in uh, chapter 21. Let's continue on down into verse 20. Then Peter, turning away, turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord was about... What about this man? And Jesus says to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, don't we do this? We get so distracted about, I do this. I shouldn't say we. Okay, I don't wanna throw you guys in the same bucket. You throw yourself in the bucket. But I do this, right? What about so-and-so? What about sister so-and-so? I don't see them doing anything. 
Why isn't so-and-so getting up there preaching once in a while? Because I won't let him, right? I want to do it. But don't we do that? We, we immediately want to take what God is trying to do in our lives and we want to put that on somebody else, right? Anybody? We do that. And Jesus says, Peter, will you just listen up? You follow me. I don't know about you, but that seems really plain to me. Really plain to me. So to be reconciled with Jesus, we've got to see that it's his heart. It's what he wants to do. It's why Jesus came. This is not something we can do on our own. It's not something we can manifest in our own flesh in here. Whosoever desires to come after him, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, is what Jesus says. The desires is what's got to change. And I think that's what Peter is, is dealing with here. I think that's what God would have us to deal with this morning, to recognize our great need for reconciliation. So why don't we stand and we'll pray. I decided to go against Brent's wishes and preach another hour. You can thank him later. And as we pray, think about these verses, right? So if you would bow your heads and let's, let's pray together. And just think about this interaction where Peter is interacting with the Lord, how God wants to reconcile us. But we've got to be honest with where we're at. And then we've got to start from there and move forward as we follow Jesus. And this is something we have to do individually, every last one of us. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the way that you have made for us. Lord, you know that any other way we would mess it up. It's a free gift that we have in Jesus. It's a free gift that you, 2,000 years ago, made a way for each one of us in this room to have a, a vibrant relationship. It teaches us that Jesus died for all men. But Lord, it starts with each one of us. And so, Father, I pray as we, we ponder these words that you've spoken, one who's never been reconciled with you, who's never really walked with you. We know of you, we, we know of the things that you've done, but we've never really said yes and following you. Never really been honest with you. And Lord, I pray for those in our midst this morning that fall into that category. We pray that you would speak to their hearts. The word teaches us, Father, that no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Lord, would you draw them into a dynamic relationship with who you are as Savior? And Lord, I pray for, for those in the middle, Lord, who would you help us just to be honest with where we're at? Honest with the fact that we all know that we need to grow. Honest with the fact that you are Lord, and for that to happen means we have to get off the throne. And Lord, we know that our desire needs to change, just like it says in your word, that whosoever desires to come after Jesus has to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. Lord, would you help us to see that this morning? That's what you're telling Peter here in this John chapter 21, that that desire has to change. We have to want it. And Lord, I pray, as, as Merlin preached a few weeks ago, it's, it's the heart that needs to change. A heart that says yes to you individually as fathers, as moms, as husbands and wives. And, and Lord, all these children in this room, we pray that we can raise up a, a mighty generation, Lord, of faithful soldiers of the cross. But Lord, they need you. Would you change their desires, Father? Mold them and make them in your image. 
So Father, I pray you would just do that work in our hearts. Help us not to be able to leave these scriptures. May you speak to us all week long, Father, from your word, not because of anything I've said, Lord, because of who you are. So Father, we thank you, we praise you in the name of Jesus, amen.